Hark, it's an 87th Precinct podcast bonus episode. This is the bonus episode for book 40, which is Tricks, the Halloween story of everything, (laughs) basically, in the precinct. And we'll do what we usually do, which is have a look at the original UK and US editions of the book in paperback and hardback. And uh, then have a look at our own copies to start Mm. things off with. So I'm going to ask Morgan to describe the first picture I've sent across. Mm. Okay. So are we looking at the the one with the the woman with the, the pumpkin? We are looking at the one with the woman with the pumpkin, the it's, it's, US hardback edition. Yeah. I think I've just described it. It's a woman with a pumpkin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Essentially. Well, there we go. Yeah. There's not much more to say, is there? No no wonder the American reviews weren't that positive. It's with kind that of... Cover. It's taken the same sort of... It's following on from the cover of uh, the, the American edition of Poison, isn't it, really? Yes. Yeah. It's... Um, Rubbish is what it is. <laughs> that's that's what, I, that was what I was looking for, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to work out if it's better or worse than Poison. I think it's slightly better, but it's still really rubbish. It looks slightly less like it's going to be some kind of terrible soft porn novel. It's a it's very happy good. pumpkin as well. Yep. <laughs> so there you go then. It's it's a pensive woman with a pumpkin. True. Right, Steve-O, please enlighten us on what the next one is, which is the US paperback edition. Yeah, it's a bit, bit weird, really. Tricks in silvery, metal-looking text. And then with, what's that? Like a skull and a... Yeah. I can't even make out of that. That's, it's a, ru- it's a bit that's murky, rubbish. isn't it? Rubbish as well. Just a skull on some black stuff. Yeah. Because I've found quite a high-resolution copy of the cover here. And... You can't really tell what's going on. It's, it's looks like weird. a sausage on the right over a bonfire. <laughs> over a bonfire, someone's <laughs> roasting a, a, a mini wiener over yeah, a like skull, a, like skull a par- fire. Like a par- well, perhaps that's a link to Andy Parker going to the parties. It's a party sausage. <laughs> I would love that to be the case. Yeah, it's. I don't know what the item is supposed to be on that this skull is breaking out of. It's. Mm. I'll have to see if I can find some other images. That's, that's this doesn't help. Useless as well. The next <laughs> one's the next one's the the book that I've got. Oh right, okay. Is that so? That's the UK hardback edition. Yeah. Me too. Oh well, you might as well dis- describe that. Is that what you've got, Morgan? Yeah, indeed. All oh, right. Okay. Well, then, Steve, you can describe this scene. As well, are they are they cheap Chinese masks or just horror masks? Aren't they? Just Halloween masks of some. Just Halloween masks. Yeah. And then with some fairly, I quite like the tricks text. It's like yeah, broken okay. by weird mirror, kind of all broken up. So that's supposed to be alludes to the um, masks that the children were wearing, holding up the um, yeah, uh, holding up the liquor stores. Yeah, because they wear a variety of disguises, don't they? They so, do. Yeah, yeah different so, one for each. So uh, one time they're sort of they're in those uh, Oriental disguises, aren't they? And then another time it's just. Yeah. Clowns, I think, and some, and you know, and things like that. But yeah, <laughs> scary masks. It is blue. There are some masks. Uh, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yep. And I will describe the UK paperback edition because that's the one I've got. And this is one that is people have mentioned to me because it's still in pan, but notice no gold band anymore. Mm. Mm. We've they've moved to a new design for these ones. 
Um, mm. Not that there's many pan editions left because they move on to a new publisher before too long, but we've now got McBain written just in a gold, shiny gold font at the top, the word tricks, and then a mask. But it's, this time it's a photorealistic mask of a woman's face mm. with like the string through it. And as a piece of graphic design, it's probably the most interesting out of the lot. It could be but, something off a David Lynch movie poster of the same era, couldn't it? Oh, definitely, True. yeah. So, I mean, you have to do a little bit of conceptual thinking, perhaps it being about the mask that that Annie and Eileen are wearing when they're undercover. Maybe. Yeah, and then the actual masks of the... Yeah, it's got a concept behind it, and it's it's got a sort of nice sort of airbrush charm to it, I think. But, uh, yeah, I think it's... I don't know. I think that's the, probably the best one. Yeah, I don't know. What do you reckon? I think I prefer the uh, the one that I've got. Yeah. Any thoughts, yeah, Morgan? I, I think both the UK ones are, are, are all right. Um, yeah, I, I, it's a bit of a toss up between I them. Think I, think. The, I think the text. Does yeah, it? I, I like the, do like the font on the on the, the hardback. I must admit. Fair enough. So perhaps, like you say, it, the actual design of the books themselves may have lent to. People made people feel more secure with the UK editions and, and happier to read the story than the American ones, which clearly upset several reviewers. Yeah, oh, clearly, yeah. Well, they're not a patch on like the seventies and before, are they? It's, no, such, it's such a shame. Whether it's just the style of the time or just mm, you know, the, like the you know the amount of money they devoted to the the I don't know, it just doesn't seem to seem to have less thought. Certainly, don't they? Hmm. Yeah. They're just not as interesting, but they're clearly not going to do the the old pulp paperback style things. But I wish they were, yeah. you know. And nowadays, you'd probably sell more if you did it in that reproduction style. Yeah. And it's something like Hard Case Crime do theirs yeah, in, they in, do. Old, in the old covers. So. Absolutely, yeah. Right, shall we have a quick huff? Yo, oh, straight in. <laughs> right in there. I'm, no trying, I'm trying different pages. Ooh, spicy. Spicy, this one. <laughs> spicy. Go on, Morgan. You've got a comparable okay. copy. Yeah, uh, might be off the same one. spicy press all those days <laughs> back in 1987. No, it's actually pretty nondescript, actually. That. It's, it's, it's not, not been... I think it's been particularly well kept, so there's just a very, very slight kind of um, mustiness to it, but it's it's pretty in pretty good nick and not not too pungent at all. Okay, right. yeah. Okay, well, I'll smell my pan edition, which is pretty untouched as a book. It's in very good nick, and in fact, the only creasing on it is from me reading it at double speed as I did because I got through it in two nights. I was that excited. Yeah. Uh, I'll have a little sniff. <laughs> I just breathed in too much, then I got slightly lightheaded. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a fairly standard paperback. It's 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 not too much one way or the other. It's it's okay, so satisfactory there. I think. Hmm. Right. Okay. We can move on from that madness then and do some 1987 stuff. I think. Splendid. Um, we did uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame stuff last time for 1986, but uh, we'll move back to the charts for 1987. I'll say that we're doing the 28th of October 1987, which is when the book was published. Mm-hmm. And I've got the American singles chart and the UK singles chart, the top 10. Some interesting ones in here. I don't think there's any that are in both charts. 
Anyone want a quick guess? Well, I do know Hysteria was released in 1987, and that had a few hit singles off it, didn't it? Are any of those kicking round? Sadly not in the top ten at this point. (sighs) Any Mel and Kim in the the UK one? Sadly not, no. (sighs) I do like Mel and Kim. Well, rightly so, yeah. I'm trying to think. There are some big names in here on both charts. Fleetwood Mac had uh, Tango in the Night. So that that must have had a few big love and all that, but they were reasonable I'd say hits. Think of an even more famous Mac song from the time. Um, everywhere. Even more famous than that, I would oh. suggest. Uh, to tell me lies, little. What did that one? Yeah, little lies. Little lies. That's what it's called. I just I started saying it and realised they didn't actually know what the title was. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I've I've made a liar of myself by saying that there wasn't anything common to both charts, but that is it's number six ah, in America, yeah. it's number five in in the UK at the time. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Oh, there's do you know what? There's there's at least two. There's two, and there's another one that's that's in America and and in the UK. I'll, I'll run them down, otherwise we'll you know we'll be here forever, and, and cool. you'll recognise a lot of them. So the weird thing is, I don't know why I said it's weird, but in the UK, the number one song is "You Win Again" by the Bee Gees. Oh yeah, it was, it was massive, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And that is followed at number two by George Michael with Faith. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Faith, the Faith. you got to have Faith. <laughs> then we've got Love in the First Degree by um, Lana Nili Nunu. No, Banana Rama. <laughs> yeah, the, the, at the start of their um, Stock Aitken and Waterman phase. Yeah. Sadly. <laughs> we've got at number four, Jan Hammer with Crockett's Theme. Oh, yeah, from Miami Vice. <laughs> Then uh, Little Lies by Mac at five. Number six, we've got Erasure with The Circus. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know that one. I don't think I, I do. I think it's probably one that we'd all recognise if we heard it, but I can't place it at the moment now. Yeah, yeah. Number seven, we've got Moni Moni by Billy Idol. Oh, yeah. Which I presume is just a cover of Moni Moni. Yeah, Tommy James and the Shondells, yeah. yeah. Done in very big 80s stadium style. Number eight is Rent by the Pet Shop Boys. And number nine, we've got Crazy Crazy Nights by Kiss. Tremendous. Yeah. Which is, you know, a great song, but still the version that one of your bands, Town Bike, did, Morgan, (laughs) that I produced, I still think is the better version because it's quicker. (laughs) It it is a little bit livelier, isn't it? That's true. Yeah. I'll share that for everyone so they can enjoy it. I think that was um, probably Kiss's biggest hit in in this country, but a total flop in the States. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, they, they, they... they don't. They never play it um, when they actually tour, tour the states because pe- people don't. It, it just it failed over there. I think it, it just kind of comes out for European and Australian tours. About apparently, that's very strange because it's such a good <laughs> pop song. Uh, yeah. So it peaked at number four in the UK. So, but it's down at nine in this chart. And at number ten, we've got was not was with walk, walk the dinosaur. The dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember that. Yep, indeed. Open the door, get on the floor, (laughs) etc. Absolutely. I won't do that now because we're recording a podcast. (laughs) Right, the US chart then. Number one, Bad by Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk about him anymore. (laughs) Number two, Causing a Commotion by Madonna. Don't even remember that one. So that's not one I recall. Mm. It's just her going into different places and making a nuisance of herself by the sounds of it. (laughs) Number three, we have another cover version. It is I Think We're Alone Now by Tiffany. Oh, God, of course. 
Classic. Mm. <laughs> we used to play that, didn't we, Morgan, in Sci-Fi Silver? We did indeed. So it's that two Tommy James and the Shondells songs in, in the charts at, at once in 1987. It must have been the, the era for it. Yeah, indeed, because Moni Moni by Billy Idol is at number four in America. <laughs> then we have Casanova by Levert. Ooh. No, not... No. <laughs> no, be- no bells ringing for me there. Then Little Lies by Mac. Number seven, we have Let Me Be The One by Expose. Nope. Nope. Again, it's. I think it is interesting how different the charts are, apart from these couple of crossovers. That There's stuff that we, we've presumably just never heard over here. Uh, but eight, we've got You Got The Look by Prince. Oh, yeah. With Sheena Easton. Marvellous. Then we have number nine is Breakout by Swing Out Sister. Yeah. And number ten is... Almost Halloween themed, this one, it seems. Uh, Brilliant Disguise by Bruce Springsteen. Hmm. I, yeah, I don't actually know the song. No, I'm I, to I assume it's just him going, I've got a brilliant disguise. I'm going to the party as a ghost. <laughs> that's that's more or less it, isn't it? Yeah. It's, with it more saxophone. Got, got the feel of the boss about it. With, yeah. more, with more saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> Television, then. A, it's a good year, 1987. It would have been a good year for us as kids, and it's also, I think, a good year for us growing up as well. Uh, legacy oh. shows, you might call them. Mm, go on then. Well, let's let's deal with the UK first because that's you know obviously what we know. So, going live starts in 1987. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Saturday morning yeah. kids TV show. Gordon the Gopher. Yeah, Gordon the Gopher is one of the uh, presenters who is a puppet Gopher. <laughs> It is a show that my nan appeared on, <laughs> which my nan, who uh, sadly passed away this year, and I would love to find the footage of her appearing on Going Live. They used to send cameras around to people's houses to surprise them if their family wrote in. Yeah. And my nan, playing with a, had a little keyboard that she could play Any Dream Will Do from Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat on it. And coincidentally, the presenter of Going Live, Philip Schofield, was starring in Joseph at the time. And in the <laughs> studio was Dudley Moore. Bloody hell. So you've got my nan in Essex, in a little flat in Essex, playing I Close My Eyes. So who wrote in to get your nan on then? Uncle David and the and the family, that side. And so, yeah, my nan's playing her little keyboard. Dudley Moore's accompanying her back in the studio on the piano. You must be able to find that online. I can't find it anywhere. Oh, I'm going I'm to look now. Well, you you can, but I've I've hit up cook and more scholars and they haven't got a copy of it it's really annoying <laughs> but yeah this is you know it's i remember staying in to watch it because we didn't know when it was going to be on in the show and the show lasts about three hours doesn't it yeah, going live it's one of these right. big ones that cuts away to cartoons and things yeah and yeah so it's just my nan is my dad's mum and he he got really impatient waiting for it because he hates watching children's tv and went out to walk the dog which at point of course it comes straight on the telly naturally but yeah i wish i had the tape still I've, yeah, it's, especially with Nan having passed away this year, it's uh, it'd have been lovely to have that. But anyway, that's going live, which would have occupied our Saturday mornings for quite a few years, really. Shall we move on to Chuckle Vision? Oh God! Oh my God! What a what a year! <laughs> yeah, Paul and Barry Chuckle, and the other Chuckle brothers who um, were less famous. Yeah. Only one chuckle brother with us anymore. Very sad. Yeah. 
I have a family story about the Chuckle Brothers as well, but I'm not going to tell it. Was, you, was your nan on the Chuckle Brothers? <laughs> no, sadly not. No. Uh, right, let's move, moving on from Chuckle Vision, which was a sort of kids' uh, live-action slapstick knockabout show, essentially. Yeah, normally involved them trying to fit some kind of inappropriately sized piece of furniture through a gap that it wouldn't fit through, in which led to lots of saying of to me, to you, over and over to again. Me. To you. And they were called Barry and Paul Chuckle, we should add. They were. Um, yeah. yeah. Which, if, like me and my brother, you're called Paul and Gary, is hilarious. <laughs> anyway, yeah. The other kids one I wanted to mention is a show called Nightmare. Oh, oh wow. brilliant. Now you're talking. I mean, how would you describe Nightmare to anyone who hasn't seen oh, it? Oh, my God, it's brilliant. It's got really good credits as well, hasn't it? Really it good. Yeah. Great theme tune. Great theme music, Welcome, yeah. young travellers. Enter, stranger. <laughs> Very early video game kind of concept, wasn't it, where you had somebody in a, a green room, essentially, which everyone else, their mates back in the, the castle, had to kind of guide them through one, yeah. one step to the left, one another, and then straight forward, and you'd have to guide them through the door and escape the... Yeah, some some kind of gigantic spiders coming towards them. <laughs> villainy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it was a sort of fantasy medieval role-play thing where some kids controlled another kid who couldn't see. Was he called in... Traegar? Traegar, Traegar, yeah. yeah. And then I think later on they added an, an annoying elf called Pickle. They did. <laughs> yeah. But it was brilliant because it was like one of these things where he's like, oh, what would I do if I was doing it? Sidestep left, sidestep left, forward, forward, duck, take. So so it used very early, not very early, it used colour separation overlay or or green screen, blue screen technology to, you know, put all these things on the screen. It was brilliant. It was, it's very much loved. Anyway, talking about much loved, a bit bit of Fry and Laurie starts. So. My one of my absolute favourite all-time sketch shows, starring Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie, through the keyhole starts. Oh, good grief! A, a program where a man looks around someone's house and Bobby Davro tries to guess who. <laughs> Sums it up, I think. But more importantly, Inspector Morse starts. Oh right, okay. Do, 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 do. That's, that's me doing the theme tune to that. <laughs> it was very accurate, very good. Yeah, so the Inspector Morse adaptations, which basically run from 1987 to 2000, I think, or something like that. Brilliant television, isn't it? Uh, it is, yeah, yeah. It's uh, about a very grumpy detective. I'm just having a flashback to maybe an Inspector Morse-themed dream I've had recently, but <laughs> I'm going to say no more about it at the moment. <laughs> oh, no. Do report if it if it comes back to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's just good telly, and especially of its era with lots of familiar faces, nice countryside, and grumpy detectives uh, wandering around. <laughs> and it spawned yeah. like a uh, an equally good prequel series in recent years so yes yeah. it's certainly worth checking out for anybody who hasn't uh, seen yeah, I it i think before. it was on the myst- the mystery strand in 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 america i think we've talked about before for certain shows uh so yeah it is brilliant inspector morse it's just yeah spot on stuff over in america we have the tracy ullman show starts yeah which spawns the simpsons yeah so 1987 sees the first appearance of The Simpsons as a short inside the Tracy Ullman show, which is odd because she's a British comedian who just became famous in America. 
it's I mean she was in things over here as well but yeah she got her own show over there and that sort of gave birth to uh, The Simpsons the original yeah. DuckTales starts <laughs> which fantastic. is fantastic the new DuckTales is really good as well if you yeah. ever get a chance to see that it's 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 very well done yeah cool one of my favourites Star Trek The Next Generation begins in 1987 which I've must have watched many many times <laughs> and this is something relevant to our our domain, a program called Beverly Hills Bunts. Beverly Hills Bunts. Now, I don't know if I've men- mentioned this before on here or, or in conversation. Beverly Hills Bunts, spelt with a Z, <laughs> is a spin-off from Hill Street Blues. So you've got the cop, Norman Bunts, who is yeah. sort of a bad cop, you know, it's like big, big set guy, a bit of a slob, almost in an Andy Parker sort of vibe. Yeah. Andy Parker, Fat Ollie type of thing. So he leaves Hill Street Blues, this fantastic world-beating cop drama, hard-hitting stuff, moves to Beverly Hills and becomes a PI. <laughs> and it's a comedy. Excellent. Is it, any, is it any good? I don't know. It doesn't sound like it, does it? Shall I? I'll, I'll read this out and you can guess whether it's any good. 13 episodes, four unaired. Uh, Cancelled. <laughs> can, Cancelled. It's up yeah. there with Joe, the Don Lee Westlake's train-based... Yeah. Uh, Super train or whatever it was called. Show <laughs> with different m- models of... Yeah. Yeah, say no more. And the only other thing I wanted to mention from America was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon, which, if our American listeners don't know, over here was called Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Oh, yeah. Because of some sort of... I'm not really sure why... Well, ninjas were such a massive problem, weren't they? In yes, this, we were plagued, this country, by, plagued by ninjas in, like, the you know, yeah. in the mid-80s. You, you couldn't move for ninjas. Yeah, constantly being attacked by, by uh, ninjas lashing shuriken at you. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah, it was some sort of weird like media scare thing, wasn't it? That suddenly, oh, if yeah. we had the word ninja, kids were suddenly going to be out on the streets with nunchucks smashing each other's faces in. If you have the word hero, but they're still using the exact same weapons, it's so much better. Yeah. In fact, actually, now I think about it, it's so much worse, isn't it? (laughs) The fact that they're they're cartoon turtles doesn't even (laughs) enter into anybody's mind. No. Yeah, it's by the time that uh, a media scare comes along, you already have to have left logic behind in most cases for these things anyway. (laughs) <laughs> and a quick look over in Australia. I know we've got Australian friends. and <laughs> Flying swear... vets. No. Uh... No, I haven't got any um, long-running soaps to mention this time. I have got something t- called Willing and Able. Uh, Kyle Willing and <laughs> uh, Brandon Able. Is it something like that? Yes, it is oh, something like that. Of course it is. Yeah, it was, it was a... too too obvious that it's a comedy about two handymen uh charles willing and abel moore oh wow. okay. so not like cain and abel type spelling yeah. of the first name so but they've also got a friend called angela reddy so they're ready willing and able oh my goodness i i didn't want to know any more about it so i, I just thought it's different but they've also got a show in australia it's just called rage wow john rage John Rage is angry. 
But, you know, you think you might have heard of this, and I'll tell you the reason we th- you, I would have thought we might have heard of this, but clearly haven't, is that it's it's an all-night music show, like a Friday night music show that plays all through the night in Australia. It's the oldest music TV show that's currently in production still hmm. in oh. the world. So, But it's obviously not got, you know, any international cachet, as it were. Hmm. But yeah, oldest running music TV show. It's it's still in production since 1987. Fantastic. And and other than Australia, I popped over to Canada as I always like to check in with our, our Canadian friends to find that there is a 1987 sees the arrival of a game show called Bumper Stumpers. <laughs> Good. Good. Bumper Stumpers. God. Do you want Do you want to guess what it's about? <laughs> if I can't even guess. <laughs> Well, let me explain the conceit behind Bumper Stumpers. It is a Canadian game show in which two teams of two players attempted to... Dis- <laughs> oh, no. I tried to start reading that, and I just thought, I can't believe I'm about to read this out. <laughs> attempted to decipher vanity license plates in an attempt to win money. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> I can't really see what... I mean, maybe it was fascinating. Maybe if it had been on over here, we'd be watching it to this day. But Well, perhaps... Perhaps. Bumper stumpers. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds rubbish. <laughs> or maybe it's time for a revival. I'm sure no, the rights wouldn't cost much. Right. Anyway, that's all TV. There was only those 12 shows or whatever we talked about in, in well, the world. More than enough. Let's get to the movies then, before we get onto our own picks. Oh, yeah. Because it's, uh, it's 1987. Good year for super smash hits, such as... Well, I'll tell you what, I'll work, I'll work up from the bottom, 10 upwards. The Witches of Eastwick is at number 10 of the highest grossing films of 1987. Number 9 is Lethal Weapon. Number 8 is Stakeout, which I don't think I know that one. That's, yeah, that's Richard Dreyfus and Emilio Estevez. Ah, right, okay. Number 7 is The Secret of My Success. Oh, yeah, Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Number 6 is The Untouchables. Oh, yeah. So that was a sort of big ensemble piece, wasn't it, that one? Yeah, it's good, yeah. Number five is Moonstruck. Mm. Oh, Cher. Yeah. Oh, yes, of course, it's Cher. Oh, please forgive me, Cher. I didn't mean to grumble <laughs> at you. Anyway, number four is Good Morning Vietnam. Number three is Beverly Hills Cop 2. Mm-hmm. Number two is Fatal Attraction, which was a super huge smash. Oh, yeah. But it wasn't as big a smash in 1987 as the number one. <laughs> Three Men and a Baby. Wow. wow. Classic, <laughs> classic Guttenberg. Selleck. Yeah. Danson. Yeah, well. All the greats. Yeah, powerhouses. Guttenberg, so Steve Guttenberg must be like one of the top grossing actors of the 80s, mustn't he? And yet you would never, you know, he must be top. 20 top 30 surely quite possibly i mean and, if you think about the you amount would of never in a million years guess his name would you i mean you consider his career from about 1984 to about 1988 you know he would have been in top ranking films in every one of those years yeah. several even exactly yeah I mean, it'd been a load of tripe as well, but... Until they came to P.S. My Cat is Dead or whatever that film was. (laughs) We found that he was in once. Yes. P.S. Your Cat is Dead. Or as Lorraine said when she couldn't remember its name, P.C. Cat is Dead. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. But, I mean, there was loads of films out in 1987. Like, uh, do you remember what Bond film it was in 1987? It was Living Daylights. Yeah, absolutely. You've, but there's quite a few good kids' films. Well, c- c- can, I have my, can I have my pick now? Because I'm going to pick one of these. I'm going to do my p- pick for the movie. Uh, when I was having a glance down, I just I remember absolutely bloody look, and I've not seen it for years. Inner Space, you remember that? <laughs> I do remember. Oh god, that was such a good film. That um, yeah, it is. Whatever happened to bloody uh, what's his face who was in it? Martin Short. He seemed to like totally disappear, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's big friends with Steve Martin, isn't he? He does a lot of stuff with Steve Martin. That's right, yeah. yeah, but he was. But yeah, what a film that was! Yeah, Absolutely brilliant. And I, I must—it must be ten years since I've seen that, fifteen years. But um, yeah, so that was my before before he got mentioned. I think that would be my movie pick. Yeah, excellent stuff. I'll tell you what. Let's all do our movie picks now. Then you've chosen Inner Space, which I remember. I remember all the hoo ha about it coming out. I remember the trailers and it being on film eighty-seven and, I, and thinking, oh, I want to see that one. I'm fairly sure I went to the cinema to see it. Uh, one of probably like a reasonably early cinema visit for a, a proper movie, I imagine. I wonder if I did. I might have done as well. I'm trying to think. Hmm. Anyhow, I don't know. <laughs> I'd ask my dad if he took us, but his memory's dreadful, so that wouldn't help. Yeah, so. re- release date, <laughs> July 87, so we'd have been like eight and a half, wouldn't we? So Summer blockbuster. Yeah. So, Morgan, do you want to do your movie pick now, then, while we're doing yes. movie picks? Yeah, by all means. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure there were definitely lots of actually good movies in 1987, but <laughs> I want to ignore those completely, and I'd like to pick um, The Running Man. Oh, okay, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good, yeah. I definitely didn't see in 87. I, I would have <laughs> seen it around, like, 1989 or 1990, when, when whenever it was we got a video recorder and, and I could go to the video rental place. But... Um, yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger in dystopian future America being forced into a, an ultra-violent uh, game show. Fantastic. Yeah. Would you have been started reading 2000 AD about that time as well? I definitely would have been an avid reader of 2000 AD by that point, yeah. Because so, it's, uh, it's totally in that world, isn't it? It's, very it's, much so, yeah. It's a so lot more fun, vibe. actually, than the Stephen King novella that it's based on. Well, it was Richard Bachman, I guess, it was, was the name it was written under, which is, mm-hmm. I was disappointed because I, I read the book afterwards and it was, it was much more serious. Fair enough. But no, it's a brilliant film. It's a corker. Yeah, so uh, looking through the list of films, I was trying to decide what uh, what stuck out for me in 1987, having had 1986 be such a powerful year for young Paul Abbott. But <laughs> as I look back, I look back now on the, the possible things, uh, and there are quite a few sort of favourites of mine in there as well, but the one that, I choose, the one that I'm choosing is Robocop, because oh, it's simply one of the, it's a, an almost peerless bit of satire, dystopian satire. It's uh, that first RoboCop film is is brilliant mm. and it's fab. So that RoboCop yeah. is my is my pick. Tremendous. Yeah, also, well. quite two thousand AD ish, I think. Really, yeah, very much so. Like yeah. we've had this discussion before about how you know a Judge Dredd film should have been more like RoboCop and less like yeah. the Judge Dredd film. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, un- until they actually made Dredd. Yes, uh, which which reset the balance a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, so, some of the some of the other movies that came out in nineteen eighty seven that. I mean, one or two of these almost got on my shortlist. You've got Harry and the Hendersons, <laughs> in which uh, a Yeti goes to a house. You've got 
Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. <laughs> that's, Which, that's the really, 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 really bad one, isn't it? Yeah, it's a strange one. I mean, I love the Superman films with Christopher Reeve a great deal. I have a lot of time for them. But Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, by any measure, is not a good film. But That's the one they like, ran out of money, isn't it? Yeah, and then... <laughs> yeah it is. It's so, a canon film. Can, I was yeah. going to say canon, yeah. <laughs> but of course, if you didn't want to watch Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, you could watch something even better. The Masters of the Universe film. Oh, God. No, no, no wonder they may run out of money making both of them in the same year. <laughs> yeah. That was a Masters of the Universe film is such a strange thing because... They totally missed... So what Transformers did well, which was they took a thing that people had had in a certain way, a cartoon, made a cartoon movie out of it, realising that kids were really, you know, invested in these characters and coming out with even more sort of brand loyalty. With He-Man, they make Masters of the Universe and it's nothing like the toys. Yeah, Yeah, and didn't they even invent new characters for the film, even though there was already probably literally hundreds in existence. It was just ridiculous, wasn't it? Yeah, and then they end up setting it on Earth and putting Courtney Cox in it. Yeah, although Frank Lagella's really good in that, actually. Yes, he is, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a strange curio in the in the history of films spun off from toys, anyway. <laughs> There's um, the, the film of Dragnet, the comedy oh, film. Oh, yeah, great stuff. Which, yeah, I still have a soft spot for that. We've got Nightmare on Elm Street three, Dream oh, Warriors. That that was my other choice. I was I was wavering. Yeah, it's excellent. We've got Batteries Not Included, which is one of the most heartbreaking films I've ever seen. Yeah, it's lovely. And The Princess Bride, which I only saw a couple of years ago for the first time, mm. and is a, a absolutely wonderful movie and absolutely deserving of its uh, its reputation. Unlike the Garbage Pail Kids movie. <laughs> what could go wrong with a movie based on some stickers that are take, making fun of a popular girl's toy line? You know, it's... it's oh. and, and today, as a result, we have the Emoji movie. Yeah, yeah it's probably the fault of Garbage Pail Kids, to be <laughs> honest. Anyway, let's move on to our music picks, and I will come to Steve-O first for his album. Well, there's quite a good few albums. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to know which to pick, isn't it, you see? I mentioned Hysteria earlier. I, I was having a look, and there's quite a few albums of such ilk that year, which you just you get seduced by, don't you? I think I might go for um, Documents by R.E.M., which I've always thought is a very fine album. Yeah, which yeah. I noted was released that year. So I shall go for that. So you Spend swerved it. away from the uh, the hard yeah. rock heavy metal into the, uh, <laughs> the college indie. Yeah, but have I made the right decision? They're very different, of course, aren't they? But maybe I'll have one side of each. Who knows? <laughs> that, would be a heck of a comp. that would be a weird album. You took that home. Alternate tracks, even better. <laughs> <laughs> you could do that. Program it on, uh, on Spotify and uh, listen to it like that. Brilliant. Okay, I'll move to Morgan then. Okay, well, I mean, I, I realised shortly after I said my choice last time for 1986 that actually, although it was recorded mostly in 86, it came out in 87, so I cheated. Yeah, you ruined the format. 
So you do an 86 album now then? Or? No, I should do, but I'm just not going to. I'm just going to do another 87 one because what the hell. Um, <laughs> so I'd, I'm, for my proper 1987 choice, I'm going to pick um, the album All by The Descendants. Ah, right, okay. Uh, just because I'd like to get them in and I haven't mentioned them before. Um, All is the, it's the last album before they broke up for what was actually the second time um, when their lead singer went back to college to be a a biochemist um and it's yeah a really interesting blend of amazing catchy pop punk and really obtuse kind of like prog um which shouldn't work at all but does yeah um, it's great and then weird little kind of one second long hardcore songs <laughs> yeah it's yes. terrific yeah it doesn't surprise me that you picked that one at all <laughs> so my pick for 1987, I'd, I'd looked through a load of options and I sort of ummed and ahed about one or two of them, but I had to go with the one that I've probably listened to the most. Mm-hmm. And I've probably had most arguments about as well with this one. And it's Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which I maintain is an absolutely phenomenal album. Oh, yeah. From a band at the sort of the peak of their early powers. Yes, there's, there's plenty to argue about the, <laughs> the nature of cover design imagery yeah. language and stuff like that but you know if you start doing that then the entire heavy metal edifice falls away for hundreds and hundreds of bands really doesn't it yeah a lot of people prefer metallica over guns and roses but appetite for destruction for me is just such a brilliant album of yeah, essentially a- pop songs yeah it's 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 a pretty magnificent rock and roll album isn't it I, I still occasionally i don't listen to it as often as i did you know years ago when i first got into it but you know i'll still occasionally put it on now and uh, and enjoy it. Yeah, I definitely wore my original cassette right through. It's it, it, yeah, became totally unplayable. I listened to it that much. So yeah, I think my first cassette of it was one we bought when we were on holiday in Cyprus. <laughs> um, it's our first holiday in Cyprus. We lived in Cyprus very briefly when we were children, and uh, this is our first holiday back to Cyprus. And there was lots of shops selling cassettes of things, but because they had the the cross design on the front because they couldn't sell, or it came from a country where you couldn't sell things with cross iconography on it. <laughs> so there was very badly sort of blacked out sidebars on this cross that you could still see. <laughs> but yeah, so it's sort of this weird this weird sort of Middle Eastern edition of, <laughs> of Appetite Amazing. for Destruction. It was my first experience of it. <laughs> right, well, there we go then. We've got some, uh, some indie rock, some hard rock, and some prog hardcore. Yeah, sort of prog, pop, punk, hardcore-ish, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, something like that. Okay. Right, well, we'll be skipping 1988 next time, coming into 1989, so we might have to decide whether we're going to do a a, a little a quick run-through of 1988 as well. Who well, we, we're missing an absolute top album in 1988, so... Well, I might grant you special mi- mi- special mi- dispensation mi- to mention it. I might do a Morgan and pick an album from the wrong year. <laughs> just, just get it wrong, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okie doke. Right, well, until such a time as we return with book 41, which is uh, Lullaby, I'm going to say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everyone. And fare thee well. Everyone. Bye. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs>